Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is a podcast from Minute Media. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Wednesday, April the 6th, 2022. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can show an Apple podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcast service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. And I want to thank the good folks over at the Fansided Podcasting Network. And of course, check out risingapple.com. Well, we did a crossover podcast a couple of weeks ago, and we are just uh, hours away, about 24 hours away from opening day. And we're going to do another one. My good friend. Now, this is not the first time we've come preseason. This has been the second or third time. But my good friend over at Gotham Baseball does a great podcast, Gotham Sports Machine, with his son, Jack Keeley. I mean, how cool is that? You know, father-son duo. Not many people do that. As I was getting ready for the podcast, I called him the Zen master because he looks like Phil Jackson now. I can't believe it after all these years. Mark Healy. Mark, welcome in. You're helping co-host here, uh, you know, hours before opening day, all oh, 24 hours before opening day. And uh, how you feeling? Are you ready for some 2022 baseball? It's like that getting to know you phase when you're starting to feel, you know, the baseball season. And it's a weird, the first few weeks of this, the first week or so of the season, it's always weird because it's like a getting to know you phase. So welcome in Zen Master. How are you? Thanks, Mike. Uh, I've heard, I've heard George Lucas, uh, my, my dad. Oh, that's a good one. That's dad, a good one, George Lucas. Anyway, um, I don't know. We're getting closer to uh, me uh, doing the Yankee style and, uh, you know, high and tight and shaving the beard soon. So, um <laughs> No, I'm excited. I'm excited because, uh, you know, when the lockout uh, started to linger and it was looking like we were going to have a shortened season and it was looking like um, that, you know, the Major League Baseball and the players weren't going to be coming to, uh, you know, an agreement. I felt like, um, you know, I almost allowed myself to like not as I said, you know what, let me know when it's over. Right. The back- Fourth and the and the and it was just it was it, it was just so horrible to watch the um you know the 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 water carrying you know 
whether it was for the owners, whether it was for the players. Nobody uh, really understood the real issues. It, that was the real it, frustrating part with it. It was just watching the whole thing. And, and, and you know, I, I kind of checked out for a while because I was just like, you know what? Like, just wake me up. Wake me up when it's over. Because, you know, the idea that anybody would take anybody's side, you know, in, in any of this is just – and. You know, I, 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 I just so happy that, you know, they were able to um, come to an agreement, 162 game season. And here we are. And e- even with the DeGrom injury, even with the Scherzer injury, uh, I'm excited about opening day and I'm excited about the Mets season. Yeah, I always feel like no matter how consistent the roster is year over year, there's that getting to know you phase. Like I said, it's a, it's a the first few days, week of the season, it's you're feeling it out. I mean, like a couple of years back, Pete Alonso, who you thought was good, but you didn't realize how good he was. You're seeing him, you know, uh, you never know who's going to uh, step up and emerge. The guys that have all these gaudy numbers, the first, you know, couple of weeks, you know, you'll get phone calls about how, you know, it's time to trade so-and-so because they're one for 10. But the first few days are always weird because it's like getting to know someone for the first time. It's like a first date. I don't know how you give me an opening day. I'll give you my opening day memory. Give me an opening day memory Mets wise that stands out to you. Do you have one that you always think back to as we get to the, the start of the oh, season? That's interesting. Um, look, I, I always go back to, you know, Tom Seaver coming back for the first time. Uh, in that 83 opening day, uh, him walking uh, outside of the bullpen and not taking the bullpen car and, and walking to the mound and, I mean, there's nothing that comes close to that for me. Nothing. Yep. Um, the only other, the only other opening day was not at, was not at home. Was the the day that the uh, I guess it was '88 when uh, Strawberry hit the roof. Yep, uh, I remember that. Well, listening to it, I was listening to the radio because I didn't have cable. I remember Bob Murphy's call on that. He hit the roof. He hit the roof. You know that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I, Maybe it's Gary Thorne on the radio, but I think Bob and Gary were on the radio back then, one or the other. Yeah. No, I think it was Bob and Gary. Uh, yeah, I, I, um, you know, like for me, the, 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 that is the, the, to, to me, like nothing can top that, you know, that, that, that Seaver coming home, I was just, I never thought it would ever happen. And he was my favorite player. So seeing that happen and, you know, I, and I, it's funny, I wrote in the book that when that happened, you know, I watched it on a black and white TV, but I'll always <laughs> remember color. You know, like the Wizard of Oz, you know, but I watched right. it on this little tiny 13 inch black and white TV. I remember I had I had one of those. I remember I used to have that before I was allowed to have a TV in my room. It was like long, like a like a, a small suitcase long and had a little tiny screen and yep. you plug it in and you had the rabbit ear antennas back then. I remember the first time I remember using that was when I asked my dad late 87 in July. Let me let me stay up late to watch Cardinals Mets and right after the All-Star break. That was the cork bat scenario with Hojo. We're really jumping back into history over there. But I'll, I'll, I'll throw you an opening day that I liked. Um, I was sitting in the last row or close to the last row of the upper deck. but And it's kind of similar to, in some ways, post-lockout where we are today. But I fell out of love with baseball maybe for a couple of years, post the worst team money could buy. NBA was huge. The Rangers win the Stanley Cup. So you were kind of arm's length if you were a Mets fan because – they just were not a good product, but I remember going opening day 95, excuse me, uh, uh, 96. This is now the year after the, the truncated season generation right. K all the excitement and watching Ray Ordonia's move at shortstop. Now that was the throw from the knees game. So I'm on the I'm upper deck third base side and, and, and you really couldn't tell he threw from his knees. You, that was a great play. You knew that, but sitting up there, you couldn't tell at the game, but watching him move, I had never seen that before, the athleticism, the lateral movement. And when you're high up like that, you get to see it all. And the Mets had a big win that day. I think they came back from a 6 nothing deficit or something like that. But um, I always remember that because I felt like, okay, this game, I, I've missed a lot the last couple of years. Yes, the game, you know, wasn't great. There was the strike, which I didn't really, you know, that wasn't really the, the, the nail in the coffin. It was all the BS around the Mets. It was like you were just, you were burnt out from the disappointment. And then you see Ordonia as a generation K and it still took another year before Bobby V came in and things got better. But I always remember for some reason, because I was at that game and because Ordonia's and his athleticism stands out to me because I just never saw it before. It's funny. I was at that game too. Um, I couldn't remember, you know, I, I, I remember cause I, I went with a bunch of guys, 
my buddies from Midtown, uh, Midtown North, uh, you know, my PD precinct. And I really don't remember much of that game. I do remember that play, <laughs> but I remember it more watching the replay, <laughs> you know. Right. Um, but that was well, – what was funny about that play is that I, – was that Gilkey and left that basically – Gilkey and left, yeah. I remember Gilkey was a guy they acquired. You didn't really know how good he was, and he winds up having – a 30, you know, one of the better seasons in Mets history. He was a big time hitter. That team yeah. had three really good hitters. I know that fans are probably rolling their eyes. Why are you talking about the 96 Mets? But Lance Johnson, yeah. probably by today's standards, analytics wise, you know, not a leadoff hitter because he didn't take pitchers. That used to be the whole big thing. Guy hit 330. Uh, Todd Hundley had his uh, 41 home run year. Right. Uh, Gilkey with 36 homers, the 115, 160, 117 RBIs, something like that. Team could score a little bit. The pitching broke down. The bullpen was awful. Um, and then obviously Dallas Green, who was the wrong manager at the time, uh, was, gave way to Bobby and what have you. The late Dallas Green, uh, you know, a, a nice man, a good man. Um, met him a few times, had the pleasure, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, we don't want to speak ill of the dead, but he. No, not he, at all. He just did not know how to manage uh, young pitchers. I mean, he no. was just. He was, uh, he, it was tough, you know, because everybody was screaming for a tough guy uh, after Jeff Torborg and, you know, Fred, somebody told Fred that Dallas Green would be good. And uh, he would have been good with the 1990 Mets who needed a, a, a little bit of a kick in the rear end after Davey kind of got stale. Um, not with the 1996 Mets. I think Dallas Green got very lucky with the 1980 Phillies. I think he was a good baseball man, but. I, you know, he's just not a guy that um, I, 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 you know, there's old school and then there's, you know, then there's Testadura, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Melbourne, and so, uh, you know, backwards when it came to dealing with young players that, um, you know, I, I, I really think he ruined their careers. You know, yeah. I mean, Isringhausen found a way out because he, you know, he, he escaped to Oakland, but, um, I, you know, he really ruined those guys' careers. So, you know, what are you going to do? Yep. No, that's true. So sharing some opening day memories, and now we fast forward to 2022. And here's what I'll say about the current Mets. And you and I have been doing these. We did this probably the second or third time we've done this. And each time I remember, even if it was 17 or 18, we were somewhat bullish on the team. We were like, you know, the Todd Frazier acquisition. I remember one time we did it like, hey, you know, that kind of grit he brings and, the Mickey Calloway team, we were very optimistic. And and even though the Mets haven't had a lot of good seasons the last five years, they never really went in hopeless. Now, there's a lot of optimism around this team. Here, here's what I would say. I think they're a team that, let's face it, 83 wins last year if under the current playoffs. The Reds would have made the playoffs last year. So the bar is lowered. So that gives them some time to figure things out with the injuries and the age and the pitchers. Uh, I'm curious. I think one of the keys is Buck and how Buck integrates the Buck Walter way, if you want to call it into the team. Uh, I think it's critically important that the guys that uh, underperformed and the guys who have potential, JD, Dom Smith, McNeil, guys like that have to perform somewhere near to what they did in 2019, because I think that the offense will be, and, and then really it goes back to the one in one a, can you get the right 45 ish plus starts out of Scherzer and DeGrom in the season, not just 45 starts, the right, 45 starts because that's the key. And if you have those three things come up affirmative, and I know there's some big ifs there. I think, I think even with some bad luck, I think you got a 90 win team that makes the playoffs, but if you're going to win the tournament, you need that critically those 45 starts or so of of Scherzer to have to come in the back half of the year. Well, I, I I think the big issue uh, here is that, you know, you mentioned guys have to perform Um, to me. Um, when I think of, I, I'll just think of three guys that have to perform to the back of their baseball card. And that's, uh, you know, Jimmy McCann, uh, Francisco Lindor. Uh, those two guys have got to perform. I mean, you know, everybody keeps talking about Thomas Nito. I like Thomas Nito. I think he's, he's a, a backup. He's a backup catcher. I, 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 you know, maybe, maybe the, you know, maybe the analytics guys are right. Maybe he's a great framer. Maybe, maybe he's, you know, going to be a better bat. But to me, they've got – McCann has got to perform. You know, um, I know this regime was not the regime that signed him. 
Um, you know, I was very impressed with him when I interviewed him. Uh, you know, I felt like he was really going to take command and, and he didn't. Um, you know, he had, he had a couple of moments here and there, but, you know, it seems, it seems that the player that they thought were, that they were getting never really showed up last year. And I think, it's I think so- New York swallowed both of those guys up a little bit. I think McCann, uh, I was always remember a player telling me when you walk into that locker room with a big contract, things change no matter who you are. And, and then Lindor thought he was going to come here and do the shtick and the shtick lasted spring training. You don't perform. They don't care about the smile and the coming to America act. They don't care. I, I think, I think your characterization is true of Lindor. I don't, I don't think McCann was overwhelmed by New York. I, I think that, uh, I think he was, he was overwhelmed by being the number one catcher. That's fair. And- with and a big contract with it. Now he's got to prove himself a little bit. Even though you know, not every guy just says I'm rich. I'm just going to sit back. There's there's pride. These they're professional athletes. I know that that's a common misperception. Well, what does he care? He's going to get paid either way. Nobody wants to go there and be bad at their job. In front no, of definitely. I think he was overwhelmed with being, uh, you know, the expectations. You know, I remember asking him in spring training last year. He said, you know, no no Met team has ever gone to the World Series without a catcher that was an All Star you know, or played at an all-star level, you know, whether it's Jerry Grody, whether it's Mike Piazza, whether it's Gary Carter and, you know, uh, you know, Paul Duca, um, you know, guys who played at a high level, the Mets usually have good catchers when they make the playoffs. And, you know, he said, well, no one's ever going to put more pressure on me than me. And, you know, and I remember Louis Rojas talking about, um, you know, how he was going to really, you know, really, and I, I asked him too. I said, you know, you know, he's going to have to be the leader of the pitching staff. He's going to have to really be a special player. And you know, Louis talked about how much you know, you know, how much weight he was going to put on Jimmy. And and I think at the end of the day, it, it, it definitely affected him. Um, I know he had some nagging injuries here and there, but you know, I, and I know people are saying, oh, he's a number nine hitter. Look, look the catcher has to be integral. You know, he has to be somebody that the the, the pitchers want to throw. The guy and I don't who, even really care about the the offense. I mean, if you want to hit 230 with 15 to 20 home runs, as long as he leads the staff, he does what he needs to do, calling a good game. He was pretty good at throwing out runners and controlling the running game. I thought the Mets running game was controlled the best it's been in forever. You know, Darnell wasn't great at that when he was when he was when he was here. You know, I'm glad he's a good guy. I'm glad he's doing well in Atlanta. But Darnell kind of punched his ticket out of here quite a few times, you know, McCann to me, everybody unduly blamed him and they were focused on his offense. I'm like, if he's got to carry the load offensively, you got a problem. Exactly. And then the thing, Mark, when you really look back at last year's team, uh, you know, the offense, they were the bottom, you know, four in the league, averaging less than four runs a game. They didn't really start getting going until September where they averaged four and a half, 4.6. Lindor had a pretty good September. A lot of that production in one game, but a pretty good September. Baez, I think Jack, you know, had a probably some of his best baseball in his career for the last six weeks on the on the contract drive. So now those guys, you know, you expect Lindor to do something similar because post June his numbers are pretty solid last year. And I really think if you get a dud out of McNeil, JD, Dom, because I'm going to assume everybody else kind of plays up to their their average career. Canna, Marte, Escobar, you know, but if those three guys are are really bad like they were last year. Uh, that's a huge chunk of the lineup. That's not good. Now, Dom and JD are going to be one spot, but right. I think McNeil is critically important because I don't think Kanoka plays second base every day. Um, and I think he, when he was on with with JD with Pete in the second half of 2019, they were an elite offensive team. You know, I don't care about the competition. Everyone talks about the competition. You got to play who you got to play. They scored a ton of runs in the second half. They played 86 Mets level winning uh, percentage in the second half of 2019. And those three guys were on. No, I agree. Um, and, and, you know, when, when I look at, and I remember asking uh, Epler when uh, the Mets brought in uh, Canna, Marte, and Escobar, I looked at all their OPS, uh, I looked at their OPS and their production with runners in scoring position, because that's what I look at. You know, I'm not, a, I'm not a math major. I don't, you know, I don't even know. And, you know, it's, and I'm not saying they don't, they're not important, but, you know, I don't use them. I don't use them because I don't know how to use them. So, you know, I, I don't know what to tell you. Um, but I look at how guys perform with runners in scoring position. 
And, you know, all of them had really good numbers and all of them had better numbers with runners because with, with runners uh, with the bases empty. So to me, when you bring in three guys like that, uh, that are going to perform with runners in scoring position. Um, and I tell you, I really love uh, Marte, the way he runs the bases and, and the way that he kind of, like, you know, when's the last time the Mets, and, and, you know, Nimmo has done a good job as the leadoff hitter, but when's the last time the Mets had a, you know, had an artist, you know, leading off? Well, he's a rare, just watching him in spring training, and I'll be the first to admit, when there were rumors of, the Mets acquiring him and having to give up a big package to the Pirates, namely Nimmo used to be. And I was like, give me Nimmo's on-base run creation. Marte looks good, but the numbers didn't jump out at me in Pittsburgh. But you watch him a little bit, and that dynamic of speed, you know, he's already playing a new position that he's, he can play, but it's not his primary position. So there's a team aspect to that. His contact skills – very rare things. Now, I don't want to say he's going to be the Mets version of Paul O'Neill because I hate when people get into that. But I think he could come over and and you saw him play in a pennant race in Oakland. So he played for a good team and add a dynamic to this offense. I think two things. One, guys that could actually drive in runs, like you said, uh, like Escobar and Marte and produce runs. And two, and two, here's a very simple thing. All Joey Cora has to do is wave the arm around because Gary DeSarcita – you know, there when you got singles last year, I, I, I'm going to harp on this. You know, there's a fan of the show who, who made up a little bingo card of all my sayings, which I think is, you know, when someone does that at work about me, I'm flattered. But here's a bingo. Here's another bingo thing. Wave the runaround. When there's a guy that then there's a hit that I could score on me, the non-athlete could score on or you, Mark, who's a better athlete than me, that you and I could score on those hits and they don't score last year. That's the third base coach. I'm sorry. Am I wrong on that? That alone. Now, I know I read the Pirate fans say that Cora is a wave him home and you're going to get a lot of guys thrown at the plate. Give me that. Give me I, that. I, I like baseball. And um, I, I think what the Mets did this offseason, Mike, is I, 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 think, I think they guaranteed themselves um, quality at-bats. Uh, you know, too many times last year we saw, you know, Good players just throw away at bats with terrible approaches, uh, especially with men on base. Do you think I, that's the analytics and the overload of information? Do you think that that maybe we overrated some of these guys? So that's the real key. We don't know. We don't know. I think it's a combination of everything. I mean, you know, you could have an overload of analytics. The Dodgers, uh, they have a ton of analytics, but they have people in that dugout that you know use it as a tool and not as a magic wand. And I think, I think Zach Scott was very bad at his job. Um, and I also think that he took advantage of the fact that Louis Rojas was someone that, you know, came from the system and was going to follow orders rather than, um, you know, try to impose his own will. Well, I think Sandy Alderson wanted that too. I think Sandy Alderson tried to install that kind of, um, I think he, t- to me, Sandy, who was necessary to get Cohen approved, was right. trying to live up to the godfather of analytics moniker, which I think is somewhat overblown a little bit, if you ask me. It's overblown, too. I do think it's overblown, too. I think it was a defense mechanism because he did not come from baseball. Uh, you know, he was an attorney. He's a lawyer. Yeah, he's a yeah. lawyer. You know, he, he, he was just somebody, he was basically brought in to clean up Billy Martin's mess that he had made, you know, and he did. Yeah. I, I he made a mess in Oakland. I mean, he was hiring like, you know, his pool guy to be like, you know, a <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Here we are where you have 52 people on the coaching staff, you know, an assistant, this data analyst that everybody has like, it's like become a corporate job on a baseball coaching staff. And it, it's evolved from Art Fowler being Billy's drinking buddy. And that's why Art Fowler was the, the pitching coach. Think about how far we've come. There's got to be a middle ground on this, but I just laugh hearing you say that, that, you know, it's always like I wanted my own people. Now, Buck's bringing in some of his own people with Wayne Kirby and what have you. But um, and I don't want to overrate Buck here because obviously he's had criticisms throughout his career. But I have to tell you, because this is a big part of it. I think he's handled the media masterfully. Let me talk. Let me see him in August after a four game losing streak. And you get one of those dopey questions from the usual quarters. But let me see that. But he's, he's deflected. He's tried to show a human side. He gives them enough to to eat off of. Uh, I think he's rather honest. And let's see if that continues. 
And I'm assuming Billy Epler, who's been in New York with Cashman, understands the need to kind of give enough information without giving too much. Uh, but I think just early returns are exactly the kind of manager you need. What frustrates me is that he's in his, what, late 60s? And you don't have any young managers. Like, who's the next wave? Like, Buck is so much better than the young managers, the last two you've seen. And I thought Louis Ross had potential. But seeing Buck come in and do some of the things, I'm like, well, that's what they needed. You know, I, I compare him to Pat Riley in the sense where Pat came in, and I know it's not totally analogous, but he came into a Knicks organization with some talent and cleaned it up like this. Maybe their methods are different, but Buck has a similar type of uh, credo because the Mets have some talent, but they've underachieved. I think Buck's going to have the same effect um, on this roster and on this franchise as Bobby Valentine did when he came in uh, at the end of 1996. I really believe that. Um, and, you know, in a different style, of course. Yeah. Bobby was was controversial. He was paranoid. He was divisive and he was able to yeah. mix it up. I don't think Buck wants to do that. But it was just but, but like I said, it's a different style. But as a fan, when Bobby came in, uh, I was like, OK, well, now we have a competent baseball person who's going to be able to, you know, get this group to overperform. And he did. Um, you know, I don't think Buck is the same kind of manager, but I think he brings the same kind of baseball IQ to the table. And um, when you add in the gravitas, when you add in, uh, you know, I mean, I, 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 I embarrassed myself <laughs> one of the first, I was one of the first people to find that Hyannis port, uh, that Hyannis Mets uh, photo with him with the mustache. And, you know, I, I've interviewed Buck over the years, but I, I don't think he could pull me out of a lineup. But I had this moment where, uh, I, I, we, we talked about, uh, you know, that photo or whatever. And, you know, during the press conference and he said, Oh, what, what did you think of this? But I thought he was saying, Oh, nice, nice beard. And I was like, Oh, my wife doesn't like it. He goes, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Oh God, I'm a dick. Um, you made but, it about you, Mark. There you go. <laughs> I always, uh, that's true. <laughs> Hey, at least I know it. At least I can self-evaluate. Self, self-awareness is the first step towards a more fruitful life. Remember that. There you but, go. There's another one for the bingo card. That's it. Um, but that's, you know, that's Buck. I mean, I, I, I was so happy that they hired him. Uh, you know, the Mets have had more than a few opportunities to hire a Buck Showalter, and they never did. Um, you know, right after they fired Bobby Valentine, they had an opportunity to hire him, and they said they went with Art Howe. Uh, you know, I mean, I, the Mets have hired so many bad managers over the years. I mean, I, I don't think you mentioned Bobby V. I haven't been this comfortable. I mean, I think with Mickey Calloway and, and, and Louis Ross, I wanted something fresh. So that was why I gave them the benefit of the doubt. And I was trying to be bullish and positive on their attributes. But um, um, I am not a fan of Terry Collins. And, and the fact that they're trying to push him back on the organization, or I think he's involved with it with the media uh, pushing him is is annoying. You know, keep him in the broadcast booth. Uh, you know, Willie Randolph had his ups and downs. We know the Jerry Manuel shtick, Art Howe. You're right. You're going back to Bobby V. Bobby V hasn't been in uniform in 20 years. That's two decades where I've never really felt great about the manager. Now, I think Willie, and I'm not going to get into Willie because I know you and Willie had your own thing going on there. Um, I think Willie kind of. It, 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 maybe he could have worked things out. Maybe things could have worked out without Tony Berzon. Let's say that. But you know, outside of Willie, maybe being the only one that's in that could have been good, it's been really bad. And I think people don't realize how bad Terry Collins was, pennant or not. See, I don't evaluate on results. I look at what could have been. A caretaker was was left here, and now Buck is in here, and I'm hoping he could give him four years. I'm hoping that. He could groom the next guy because I hope that Louis Ross was going to be Ron Gardner and be here 10 years. There's not a lot of those guys anymore. Although, look, uh, Dave Roberts in L.A. is is kind of going on, you know, what, four or five years now. So, you know, with this contract and what have you. So, I mean, there's no guys like this anymore. You know, Girardi, Buck, Dusty, they're not going to manage forever. At some point, where's the next wave? And I'm glad the Mets have one of them because it's horrible out there. Well, maybe Bob Melvin. I mean, think about it. Maybe Bob Melvin should have been hired when Terry Collins was hired. That was the other guy, you know? 
You know, I, I, I like Bob Melvin a lot. I'm not a huge Bob Melvin fan. I, I you know, I, I, uh, he, he's one of the, he's one of the, you know, he's the order taker who he, he, you know, we always talk about, uh, I don't want an order taker for a manager, uh, a guy who's just going to take, you know, the lineup every day and, and just smile and, you know, well, you know, David, uh, you know, people, people think Bob Melvin is some kind of like really good manager. And I just think Bob Melvin is just a pleasant order taker. And um, I guess in San Diego and Oakland, that'll work. And, and here, uh, and Buck has said it, I think, one of the most prescient things he could have said is play better, right? Nobody cares that DeGrom is hurt. I mean, the one thing I put out there, I put there on the last show, if you think there's a person on the other 29 teams that wants to see Steve Cohen have any success in this league, this outsider, this very, 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 you know how rich some of the guys are in the game? This guy is multiples rich of that. I don't think people realize how rich he is. And if you think anybody wants to see him win, you got another thing coming. So nobody's feeling bad for Mets. Play better. Push through. Want him in the league, you know? I mean, no. Fred uh, Wilpon had to make basically say, "I am broke. I need out. Right. I need out. Get me out, please. Help me." I hate to say it, but you know, not having fans in the stadium. That uh, extra. extra, That was what say. That was what got the Wilpons out. The I hate to say it. The pandemic knocked them out, or else I think they still would be here. Or worse yet, A Rod would be involved with J Lo. Divorced A Rod. And J-Lo on the team. Oh, that would be, woo. That Imagine been, what we'd be talking about now if that was the case. Divorced A-Rod and J-Lo, not talking. Uh, you know, the team going into receivership or something uh, like that. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, you got to like the, the angel of death, you know, with Easter coming up. The angel of death, let's just like, you know, let's let it pass over. The angel of death for baseball type of thing. I think, look, I think that – um At the end of the day, you know, I, I thought I thought this was going to be the case when when uh, when when the Mets first started right after Madoff, and you know Mike Rapoli, who I went to high school with at Holy Cross, uh, really wanted to buy the team until he found out that the Wilpons still wanted to control it, and then he dropped out. He was actually part of the A Rod group, um, but I, 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 as much as I love Mike. You know, Mike wasn't going to be the controlling partner. Uh, Huge Met fan. He just wanted to have a piece of the team, Um, you know, tight with David Wright, you know, Mike. And, you know, I I, I was rooting for Mike the first time when the the Madoff thing happened because I thought Mike would be a fantastic owner. Um, I wanted Steve Cohen from day one. The moment Steve Cohen... You know, and, and then and then I, he couldn't have been even more of a hero to me when he was going to buy the team and then balk at the last minute because Jeff Wilpon was going to you know control the team for five years. No, you know, so with his money, oh. imagine that. Here's here's my checkbook. Now I'm not your father, Jeff. That was why the Cablevision deal that Doubleday had set up with Dolan, with Charles Dolan, uh, back in I believe it was 2001. It was 2001? Doubleday was sick. His kids didn't want the team. And so he, he, uh, yeah, I believe he orchestrated a deal with Cablevision that they were going to buy the team for like 400 million or 500 million. And at the last minute, it, it got, you know, Fred put the kibosh on it because Dolan didn't want to let Jeff run the team. Right. So, so this has been going on for a while. Yeah. So, so, you know, I mean, look, we're in a position where we're, we, you know, we're here opening day. Hopefully, uh, you know, look, when you have an injury with the Grom, you'd rather it happen in April than happen in June uh, or July. Hopefully, you know, he comes back. He's strong. They don't rush him back. And the Mets are still, you know, the Mets are at 500 or a little bit better. And then he comes in and gives them a push for the second half. Um, Scherzer, I'm not, I'm not really, I don't know about you, but I'm not really worried about the hamstring. Um, I think Scherzer is a guy that, and I warned everybody, if you look at his history, he gets a lot of nicks throughout the season. I expected a couple of weeks where they'd have to back him off or be on the DL. I mean, even in 19, when they won the championship, Washington, he, he had like a back shoulder blade issue and stuff like that. He knows how to push his body. I have a lot of confidence. I think DeGrom is just learning the mid thirties body. I think he's learning his body. I think Scherzer already has it. So to yeah, speak, you know I mean? I- 
Good point, uh, Mike. I, I think that, you know, Bassett is going to be the guy to me. I, you know, I compared him on Twitter the other day, the 1986 Bob Lolita. You know, I, I guarantee you, I, you know, these, these Met fans sometimes, I mean, I love them. I love them to death. But how many of them really knew who Chris Bassett was? Let's be honest. No, I mean, I mean and I'll, I'll be the first. When I looked at and I said throughout the season, uh, the offseason, I said they're going to have to really upgrade the staff. It's got to come via trade. And when I looked at the Oakland staff, I said this in December, you know, I didn't know much about Bassett, but I said he looks to be the best of the three numerically. He's older because he's a free agent after the year and his age. I think the prospect capital will be less. It was still a painful prospect capital. But, you know, I keep telling everybody, look what the uh, A's got for Olsen. You know, they're, they need these chips to rebuild. They weren't going to give another pitcher away to the Mets for Dom Smith. They're not going to do that. So you got the best pitcher from Oakland for the least amount of pain and prospect capital when you don't have enough prospect depth. That's it. Now, if Jose Buto has a nice year as a number 10 prospect in the system, maybe things change midseason. Maybe Montes is still available in July. Who knows? But I'm not counting on it. No, I, you know, I, I think that, you know, I don't believe in panic. You know, when DeGrom got hurt, I mean, I got so many DMs from people. Oh, who do you think they're going to go after? You know what? I was like, they're not going to go after anybody. They're not going to make a trade right now. I mean, if somebody falls off the face, you know, somebody falls off the waiver wire at the last minute or somebody gets DFA before opening day, you know, I can see them picking somebody up just for depth. Uh, But they're not going to. It's like football in this town. Like you have to calm down. Nobody's going to remember Tyler McGill started on opening day. If that's who starts, nobody's going to remember the bullpen game on August 31st. If they're in the playoffs. And I just, before the show, I scrolled very quickly the last five or six years of taking the pandemic season out of, you know, the three teams after the division winners. And if you're between 83 and 86 wins, you get yourself 86 wins unless something really wacky at the top heavy league happens 86 wins will get you a wild card spot that's not asking a lot you don't need Degrom for more than 20 starts to do that you don't need surger surger to make every start to do that you need your team to perform from one to you know 40 45 because you have to have depth uh so we got to like calm down like you know i see it already like every game is is the end of the season i did not think they were even before the whole Degrom injury i didn't have them as a division winner they haven't proven they could win the division they haven't proven they could beat the braves all the long haul uh, Atlanta on paper is more balanced and have better depth and and less weaknesses and less age. Uh, maybe Charlie Morton. But other than that, they're in a pretty good place and they're going to you know have their fits and starts. And the one thing that I, I learned from the Braves last year, you could jerk around in the modern game for about 80 to 90 games. As long as you don't get too far behind and you put together a good 60 days, you'll be OK. Terry Collins did it back to back. He was Terry Collins entire managerial career. They have him on like Miller Huggins now on baseball night, in New York on SMY is based on 13 weeks over two seasons. That's it. 13 weeks over two seasons made this guy into at least in some quarters, Miller Huggins. So think about that. That's not a strategy, but that's really what this season comes down to figure things out, find out what you got, get what you need at the all-star break, make it happen. That's kind of how it goes. That's how I did it. I, I just think it's hilarious. Um, you know, you know, I have a soft spot for Terry, uh, you know, but, but only because he looks like dad and because he was good to Wally Bagman. Um, other than that, I mean, you know, and, and he's a good man I mean, he's not a bad guy, but uh, the, the fake tough guy stuff that, the, yep. you know, the, 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 the false equivalency of, of like putting him in the same, you know, boat every time they would talk about, well, you know, the only, the only two managers ever to make it back-to-back seasons in the, in the playoffs were Terry Collins and Bobby Valentine. I mean, getting shut out in the playing game is not making the playoffs two years in a row. Sorry. Uh, I know everybody loves Terry, you know, the ass in the jackpot, and you know. Uh, but you know, Terry was not a very good manager. He just wasn't. And, and to, to claim otherwise, you're being disingenuous. Um, and and um, watching his post game press conferences was was you know, torture. It was it was literal torture. I don't really watch Baseball Night in New York that much anyway. I only I only probably pop it on when my buddy JJ is on there. Jastrzemski. Um it's unwatchable. Um, you know, it, it's just I can't. 
you know, I mean, you and I did a better show at Mickey Mantle's, you know, all low those many years ago. Um, it's hard for me because it's such corporate, um, you know, you know, you know, it's, you know, pot, you know, Twinkie Munch questions and it, it, I just, and, and, and whenever there is outrage, it's fake outrage. I yeah. I can't take the fake outrage on that. Mark, who, what do you give me? Give me the player that is going to surprise people the most, the player that you feel you're concerned about and disappointing and give me a storyline that we're not talking about that you're, you're going to be looking at, or you think will crop up as something significant during the season. Okay. Um, I think, I think that, and that's just because I want this to happen. So I don't know if it's going to happen, but I think we won't hold you to your predictions. We give you a break. We give we, you reserve the right to change your opinion on the talking Mets podcast. This is not the court of law. It's not Twitter court. You know, judge, judge Judy's not here. Judge Joe Brown is not here. These those shows even on anymore. I don't know. I'm dating myself. I used match.com on a conversation the other day. I don't even think that exists. It even exist anymore. I don't know. I said, you know what I said? This is what you love. The Mets not only didn't go on a date with Lindor before they got married, they saw his match.com profile. They said, oh, that's it. We're going, we're going to full mile. I've interrupted you. Good. Um, you got a Phil Jackson type smirk. That's the smirk he used to have when he was on the sidelines and Jordan would get away with a travel or they'd call a cheap holding call on Starks and, and, and the Knicks would lose by two because of a dumb call by the refs because Jordan got everything. But I, I digress. I'll let you, I'll let you finish. Um, you people can hold me to this. Uh, I, it's okay. I mean, I don't mind being wrong. I don't. I, I don't mind saying I was wrong. Uh, I, I think McCann is the guy that a lot of people have dismissed. Um, I think he's going to come. I, I think he's going to be. Uh, I think he's going to play a big factor this year. Um, I think he's going to be better offensively. But 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 I really think that where he's going to shine is that he's going to take control of his pitching staff. I really believe that he's going to. And they're going to need it. They're going to need it. They have a I, lot. They're going to. They're going to get some starts from guys that you never. Don't be surprised. A, a Buto starts. Uh, a Connor Gray starts. Be ready. There's going to be some of that. Yeah, I, I. I really think that that that's that's going to be. He's you know it's going to be in a stated way. But I think as the season goes on, people are going to start realizing how important he is to the pitching staff and the success of it. Because uh, I do think they're going to be successful. Um. The other thing I would look for, uh, somebody has to emerge from this bullpen outside of Edwin Diaz. I'm, I'm, a, I'm fine with Edwin. I don't think he's elite. I'm glad they didn't try to sign Kenley Jansen because I think he's done. Um, and, you know, I just, I said that too. I think to he's the, better than Craig Kimbrell, though. I think the Dodgers made a mistake I, on that. I, I've never been a Kimbrell. I mean, as a, as a setup guy, okay, but as a closer, no. I think they're all the same. Jansen, yeah. Milan. Uh, you know, there there's not many. Of, I mean, Josh haters. There's not many automatics anymore, Mark. That's no. for sure. But I, I'll say this. There's something about Diaz. I think he did find his niche last year. I think with the trumpets and, you know, the fans getting behind him. I mean, I've never seen anybody go from where he was in 2019 to where he was last year. You know, um, getting Familia out of that bullpen was, you know, have fun. Adavino is going to be another version, but he's probably better. And getting listen, no. I think you like. I saw you on Twitter, Castro. I'm, I don't care who they got. I couldn't take him anymore. He he was the one that frustrated me the most, Castro. He was, uh, no, I, he had some moments early in the season. No he command. Hit. He's typical modern day baseball. Just throws yep. hard. Throws doesn't know how to pitch. Hope, hopes they miss. Uh, I I think the guys that that um, the guy that's really the key in that bullpen is going to be Seth Lugo. Uh, agree. If, if we get a healthy self, if we have a healthy Seth Lugo coming in that bullpen, uh, you know, and, and being a guy that's going to be a lockdown guy in the eighth inning, uh, or sometimes having to come in in the seventh, and, and that. But to see, I'm a big believer in those layers. You know, uh, not so much matchups. Uh, I'm not an analytics guy. I believe in layers. Uh, I believe in having that guy that you know that you can bring in when there's men on base. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, is it going to be Trevor May? Is it going to be Drew Smith? Is it going to be, you know, Chasen? I, I actually like that they brought back Chasen Shreve. I like, I like Chasen Shreve. I was very disappointed when they didn't bring him back last year after the pandemic. Yes. Rodriguez, I, I think, you know, what I saw of him with the Yankees last year, I liked. 
uh, gets lefties out. I know that that's not as relevant because of the three batter rule, but uh, look, you got two outs. Remember something. You got two outs, seventh inning, Bryce Harper coming up. You bring him in. Yeah, I mean. And Bryce look. Harper gets a hit, and Kyle Schwab or JT Realmuto's up next. Oh, well, I mean, you know, sometimes that's full life. That happens. But, like, everybody wants perfect scenario. But now you have a manager that doesn't pay by the numbers. Now you have a manager, Gravitat, has the, and has the juice, you know, that he doesn't care whether or not he follows the script. You know, right. um, he said what he had to say to get the job, but I don't think Buck, I think Buck's going to be Buck, you know, when he's mad. And I, I, I trust Buck, you know, um, anybody that uses his lack of a world series ring as some kind of indicators, you know, so Buck Walter gets mocked because he doesn't have a world series ring, but Dusty Baker, who I think is nowhere near as good a manager as Buck Walter, is somehow, you know, but give uh, Dusty, I will say, I agree with you. And when they were hiring, when they were looking at, I said they needed an experienced manager after 2019. They had Girardi, Buck, Dusty. And Girardi was the guy I wanted because of the New York connection. Me too. Uh, I didn't want anything to do with Dusty because I didn't think he, he was going to burn those, those pitchers out. Um, Buck was the one we didn't talk a lot about. Probably we should have been talked about more. And I think throughout the summer, my story that I think we're going to be talking about a lot is I think Buck's better than people think. And I think he's evolved way different than the buck in, in, in New York back in the nineties, different than the intense tight guy that you saw folding his arms in Arizona. And I think Baltimore, I mean, if he survived Baltimore and Peter Angelos and the Suns, and the nonsense that went on there and won in a division with the Yankees and the Red Sox and a ballpark that, and a, a city that's, that's kind of going through some weird stuff, baseball wise, uh, the yoke, that's around the Mets neck. And there's a yoke around this organization's neck. Like, I think 86 is kind of hanging now and it's getting more. It's not ni- 1940 Rangers style, but it's, it's kind of like a yoke. I think he can, he can be the guy that could kind of push them through with up here, the mindset. As far as a guy that's, that's going to surprise you. I think Robinson Cano, I'll give another Yankee connection. I think Robinson Cano is going to hit a lot more than people think. Biggest disappointment. Dom Smith. I'll just go with that. Cause the, they, the 25 night, I hope he hits 25 homers, 90 RBIs. I just, I don't see it, but I'll give you, those are my three. I think the guy that's going to disappoint um, a lot of people, uh, and this is going to be unpopular, but I think it's going to be Pete Alonso, to be honest with hmm. you. Interesting. Uh, I think that, I think that uh, what I've seen of Dom bring, he looks like he's healthy. Um, and a healthy Dom rate, you know, hits a lot of line drives and, He's a better defender. And I know that, look, I'll give Pete a lot of credit. He's far more, a far better defender than I ever thought he would be. Um, but he, Dom Smith is a better first baseman. I mean, Pete Alonso, if, if there was ever a DH in, in the Mets system, it's, it's Pete, you know. Um, but I think Pete is, is already, uh, you know, I don't want to be a DH. And I really work hard on my defense and this and that. I, you know, Pete's not – I don't know everybody loves Pete, and I love Pete too. But he's goofy. He's got a goofy side to him. He does, and that's okay. It's okay to be goofy, but and I know people think it's a bit insincere, but you know it, it, it is a oh, lot I, worse. People. I, I mean, he's not Nick Swisher level insincere, right? I mean, I don't think he's Nick Swisher. I think he's insincere. I think that is his natural state. No, he's like a puppy dog. Sometimes yeah. he's a he's a puppy dog, like. You know, Pete is Pete. You know, the guy gets turned, his car gets turned over. He shows a picture of it. And it's like, well, yeah. I'm lucky I'm not dead. And he's just like, he goes out there and he hits batting practice. Right, I love, I mean, you got to give him, you got to give him credit on that. I, 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 I agree. I agree. But I think that he's going to, I do think he's going to struggle. Um, he's a guy that, that, um, I mean, look, he hits, he hits balls a long way, but I don't love his pitch selection. He strikes out too much. He doesn't hit when he's not hitting home runs. And um, if, if, if Dom's having the good year that I think he's going to have, uh, there's going to be pressure. There's going to be pressure on Buck to play Dom over Pete at first base. And, you know, I hope it doesn't come to that. I hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong about that. But I think Pete's the guy uh, that's probably going to struggle more than people think he is. But I wanted to go back to something that you were talking about with Buck. The, the thing about Buck is, you know, one of the things I asked him in his introductory press conference was, 
the fact that he, everywhere he's been, um, he has always tried to incorporate the history of the team and how he deals with the players. Obviously, he couldn't do it in Arizona, um, but they had veterans. He was creating the Yankees. Yeah, with the Yankees, the Orioles tradition. Very true. Very true. Oh, and so I, when I asked him that, I said, you'll always, I said, you know, do you plan on doing the same thing here uh, with the Mets? And he said, absolutely. You know, he goes, I've always tried to do that. It's important. He goes, there's so many great Mets uh, that have, you know, and he's been true to his word. He's been very welcoming. He did the whole thing with Keith Hernandez. Uh, he was very welcoming of, of all the guys that came into camp. I think he's going to continuously talk about that stuff. Cause he's, you know, you said that 1986 looms, it does loom. And I think it loomed for Jeff Wilpon because he grew up idolizing a lot of those guys. And, you know, Fred hated those guys. So there's always that dysfunction of, uh, you know, there, there were factions in the organization that liked the 86 guys and having them around. And then there were other factions that, you know, wanted to erase them from memory. Um, because Let's be honest, Fred Wilpon had very little to do with the success of the 1986 Mets. Sure. You know, he, was a, he was really a bystander, uh, you know, until after the World Series. And then all of a sudden he was an equal partner. But um, I think that he's not afraid of the ghost, you know, the ghosts of 1986. So he welcomes it. He likes it. Uh, and that's what happens when you have a manager with the resume of a Buck Showalter, with the gravitas of a, of a Buck Showalter. Like he's going to do what he wants to do. And it seems like Steve Cohen is, is, is on board. And, you know, I mean, to me, the dynamic, the dynamic of the, of the clubhouse, the dynamic of the way the team plays on a day-to-day basis, you know, a lot of people like to um, deconstruct what a manager uh, means to a team. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe there are times when the manager doesn't matter, but I, I don't think the 1996 Yankees win if it's not Joe Torre managing and the buffer. Sure. And look, yeah. Joe Torre came, Joe Torre came as not having a championship. I mean, if Buck could come here and break the championship tonight and only be here at the four year contract, uh, as much as he's a Yankee, Buck's foundation is the Yankees. Um, that would make him a Met for a lot of reasons. And it's ironic that both Billy Epler and Buck, Buck going back to the Billy Martin tree, uh, Epler going back with Cashman and Cashman, you know, with that Yankee DNA. That is a lot of Yankee uh, blood injected into the Mets. And I know Mets fans don't want to hear that. And as much as we want to, you know, kind of the Yankees could at times become a character themselves. There's a lot of good that comes from that. You know, you could sneer at Billy Martin. Now he was a baseball genius drinking and his own uh, bullheadedness did him in uh, Epler, whatever you would think about Brian Cashman or think about Epler's job in, in Anaheim under difficult circumstances uh, had to learn something in the 10 years he was there during very chaotic times, a rod Jeter, uh, you know, expected to win biggest payroll, you know, post, you know, as Steinbrenner got older, uh, there was a lot of chaos there. Oh, six. You were, you were around. You covered the team. Oh, six, oh, seven, oh, eight. He had to pick up stuff there. What's going to bother him here? Like nothing's going to swallow them up. I'd be shocked if something swallowed those two guys up. Maybe that's part of the whole Buck storyline. I think one of the reasons, you know, Epler got the job. A lot of people say that Epler got the job because he the only one who said yes. Um, and maybe maybe that's true. You know, maybe that's true to a certain extent, but, you know, Billy was fine. You know, Billy had a nice job and he was making good money and he was, you know, he could have, he, he could have stayed in the agency though. This is not just because the money's good. Do you want to do this to your life, to your, to your health? Uh, this is not a healthy place to Mark. Let's face it. Cover, covering the Mets, working for the Mets, Yankees. It's not healthy. It's, it's not. You got to put you know, a, when people say, Oh, Dom Smith wants to play every day in San Diego. Yo, yeah. It's a better weather, sleepy every day. Don't have to talk to you and I. You're gonna love them. You know, it's it's tough. You know, it, it, I, I think Billy. I think Billy looked at it as I'm gonna have all the resources in the world. I'm gonna have a great front office. You look at the Met front office right now, and you look at all the talented people that are in it. Uh, 
and I'm going to include, I'm going to include, uh, Brent, Brent Alderson. I'm going to, I'm going to include him. I mean, I've heard nothing but good things about that kid. And so many people took pot shots at Brent and Sandy. And look, I'm no great lover of Sandy Alderson. I think I've made that very clear in my career, but not, but, it's not all bad. It's not all but, bad, but, but be fair, you know, be fair. Don't judge what he did. Uh, you know, uh, pre Steve Cohen, uh, you know, uh, you can only, you can only blame him for so much. Uh, you know, and there are a lot of things I don't like about Sandy, but to, to the, you know, the, the, the pot shots that were taken at Sandy this off season by the media, uh, and Bryn, who has never said boo to anybody about his dad being the boss. I've never, I've never ever been in a situation where the son of the boss is involved in the operation and no one has a bad thing to say about him. And that's not very out, rare. That's and very rare. Of, you know, not out of fear. Uh, you know, people were always loath to, um, you know, to criticize Jeff. But once you got to know them, they were like, I hate this guy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're like, you know, I've never heard that about Brent. And, you know, uh, you know, he's a Dartmouth kid and the guy, the kid paid his dues, man. He worked right. 12 years in, in front offices before he came to the Mets. No. Um, but I mean, you look at the, you know, you just look at the rest of the front office. You've got some really, really qualified people. He's got a great support staff. He's got all the resources in the world. He's got a manager that he doesn't have to worry about micromanaging. Like he can just do his job of player acquisition. You don't have to worry about childish things happening. You know, manager chasing skirts in the media, uh, you know, a manager who's, you know, I mean, Rojas was too much of a baseball junkie on zoom. You know, they didn't want to hear baseball uh, junkie talk. They want, you know, you need to entertain the media. All right, here we go. We wrap up. I don't do predictions, but I'm going to give you, I'm not going to go. Mets are going to win the world series. I'm not going to do that, but here's what I will say. I think they're going to win about 90 games. I think they're going to be a wild card team. I don't know if it's one, two, or three. And I think their success, I'll go back to the tournament. If they can get the right 45 starts out of Scherzer and DeGrom, I love them in a tournament. I love them in a tournament. But I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. So that's my Mets prediction. 90 wins, wild card. Yeah, I I, I think that, that, you know, and I said it earlier today on a show on ESPN Radio in Georgia. Um, It's a two-team race. People keep inserting the Phillies into this, you know. The Phillies are going to be a a carnival show with offense. But, I I mean, we got to watch out with Wheeler. I think Wheeler's going to break down eventually. Yes. But Wheeler, outside of Wheeler, who's elite, you know? Uh, Nola's Uh, pretty good. Nola's pretty good. There you go. He's pretty good. But the the rest of the rotation's okay. The bullpen is okay. Their defense is awful. And, you know, Schwarber's going to be flopping around in the Citizens Bank Park outfield. Yeah, I, I just don't think I just don't think that that as they're constructed, they're going to be a pain in the ass to get out. You know, you don't want to sure. face, you know, when you have a especially you know, in Citizens Bank Park. Right. And a tired out bullpen. But I, I think it's going to be a two team race all year. I don't think I don't think the Mets will win the division. I agree with you on that. I agree. Um but I, I think it all comes down to – I really believe that it all comes down to Jake. If Jake comes back in eight weeks and pitches the rest of the year, I, I think that they will um, – I think they, I'll think they'll, I think they will make a run at the pennant. I think they will make a legitimate run. If they're healthy when they start the postseason, right. if Jake, Max, and Bassett, and those three guys are healthy, and pitching well when the postseason starts, they have a very good shot to win a pennant. I know they're not as good as the Dodgers. Uh, they may not be as good as the Braves right now, but I like the idea that they didn't panic and get rid of all their prospects uh, and panic after the Jake deal or, or overplay their hand to get another starter or bullpen arm. I think that if everybody's healthy – and they make a couple of decent deals at the deadline. Um, this team can win a pennant. I, you know, I believe I that. I think it's going to be a fun year. I think at the very least, fun I year. Think, 
I think it's going to be very fun. You got my so you got my juices flowing. I'm looking at us here on a camera, which nobody will ever see. They only hear our voices. You look like George Lucas slash Phil Jackson. I've got the Pat Riley slick back hair, you know, the whole, you know, mid 40s cool thing going on. We got to go back to the old Mickey Mantles. You get now with all the technology. Remember all the technology we didn't have? You get one of those little podcasting hubs. All you got to do is hook it up. Bing, 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 bing. We can sit there, have the chicken fried steak. You and I can have a nice baseball conversation pre-recorded, pop it up within 30 seconds. You know, people get the ambiance, the whole thing going on, and uh, they can say, no, that silver light looks a lot younger than his dad over there. So, you know, I got to, I had to do that to make chops. I love it. But you know what? This has been a ton of fun. It's like we never miss a beat. I could think of us, you know, going back to the days. Uh, nobody's going to like us because we're, we're, you know, you're kind of a baby boomer. Gener- we're both Generation X. I think I'm X. You're probably kind of getting a little X. Nobody's going to like us because we don't fit any of the, you know, checkbox, you know, Twitter checkboxes. But I think this was a fun show and no one's going to cancel us because I'm not canceling myself. So too bad. They could go and do what they do. So uh, uh, Jack Healy, Mark Healy, check out their podcast, Gotham Baseball. Uh, Gotham Sports Machine, love the name. Mark, anything else you want before I let you go? What do you got coming up? Anything going on? Uh, no, that's it. Um, you know, we're, we're going to be announcing some book stuff uh, later on. You know, um, I'll sure to, sure to let you know. And uh, we're, we're, we're definitely going to have you on the Gotham Sports Machine, Mike, coming up. I love to be on. And by the way, great book. I, I went, I even brought my wife to a book signing. My wife can't stand any of this baseball stuff. Like she heard my fantasy baseball draft on Zoom the other day. She goes, oh, like, and you met my wife. She's like, this is not her gig. Like, this whole thing ain't her gig. Like, she's going, she says, oh, Mark is a really nice guy. Like, I'm like, yeah, like, this is not your typical, what she calls Mongo baseball situation. So when you have another one of your sophisticated books, that was a nice place you had over there, that book, that, uh, that coffee shop uh, yeah. back in June. Uh, yeah. When you have another one of your sophisticated book signings, I'll be there. I'll be the least sophisticated of everybody. But, hey, you know. You got to have one. You got to have one man of the people in the group over there for all these smart people there, all these smart baseball people. <laughs> Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. Be well. Can't wait to talk to you and your your son again. And, and let's do this soon. All right, man. All right, buddy. Take care. All right. Mark Healy. Uh, check him out all the time. Gotham baseball. Jack Healy is son. Great kid. Uh, really appreciate everyone tuning in. Well, that's our season preview show. Came to you midweek. Uh, we'll be back with another program on Sunday buckle up looks like the more things change the more they stay the same looks like there's rain in the forecast for opening day first postponement what was there 13 double headers last year no more seven innings so the Mets got to make sure they get a little bit more uh luck from uh the weatherman this year or the weather person can you can you get in trouble for saying weatherman so anyway want to thank Mark Healy check him out over at Gotham Baseball you could check me out all the time at the talkingmetspodcast.com send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and you get a show on Apple Podcast, Spotify pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. Check out the good folks over at the fan side of Podcasting Network and RisingApple.com. Till Sunday, be well. Enjoy opening day. Take care, everybody. Our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. 
by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.